Hello and welcome to the Alpha Class. I'm your host, Vuk Skadaka. Today we're joined by the nutrition guru, Reese Livingston. Reese is the founder of the Lions to Physique Coaching. He's a current competitor and coach in the bodybuilding industry in Australia. Today we'll be talking about what you should be putting into your bodies and why, talking about different fad diets and which one works for you and your specific body type, also what you should be doing in the gym and much more. This is an episode you don't want to miss, stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome Reese Livingston today. Thanks for being here, Reese. No worries, bro. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? I'm um, excellent, man. It's, uh, you know, surviving in style, going through isolation. It's uh, excellent. an interesting time, but it's, uh, it's all going well. Beautiful. So everyone listening out there, Reese is a young entrepreneur making a difference in the fitness industry. Tell us about your journey, Reese. How'd you get into the fitness industry? Well, look, it goes back a while. It's probably a little bit of a can of worms, but uh, the, the brief version is I used to be a high-level swimmer. Yep. Uh, I swam for many years throughout uh, my younger days and made it to a national squad. And um, essentially, I got to a point where swimming was no longer a passion. Uh, stopped, stopped that, and then there was a bit of a gap in my life. I needed to do something, so I got into training, got into the gym, yep. uh, and realised that I could, uh, you know, help a lot of people doing that. So that kind of led me down a career path. I got qualified. Uh, base qualifications for that and then I went on to learn a lot more over the years I've been in industry now uh, really eight years I'd say wow. and in that time I've been qualified in uh, nutrition and dietetics I've got obviously some strength and conditioning background as well as learning from as many gurus as I can across uh, course, yeah. you know, the whole industry uh, because really at the end of the day for me personally uh, the university side of things uh, doesn't show as much application whereas if I go learn from straight from the people that I want to learn from right. uh, and that's really what I've done uh, and really over the last probably five years been able to break into the bodybuilding industry where I help competitors get on stage or ready for a photo shoot and really try to focus on the uh I guess, more specific side of nutrition and training. Excellent. Which we'll get to that a little bit later. You've also got your own business, uh, Lionstone Physique Coaching. Tell me a little bit about that. Lionstone, Lionstone was born out of, I think, the necessity to combine education as well as in the trenches knowledge uh, with just hard out work ethic. Um, essentially, what we stand for is is we're a results-driven business. So we are obsessed with outcomes for our clients, whether it be mindset, strength, or physique coaching, or physique goals. Uh, we go all in, uh, and our expectation from our clients is if we give you 100%, uh, we expect the same back, and you uh, kind of meet us in the middle with 100 and 100. And uh, we try and make sure that we combine, as I said, the scientific knowledge side of things as well as in, in the trenches, um, I guess, experience and knowledge yep. to combine that into a, a system where we track as much things as we can. Excellent. And just going back to more your teenage years, obviously when you finished swimming, you were, we spoke about before, you were quite thin, quite very tall, uh, very not muscular body shape, put it that way. Uh, what, what did you I, do I to... Definitely, yeah. If we didn't have an athlete's body, right? Yeah. It was uh, an interest. Like, look, I, I don't want to say it's all genetics because a lot of hard work goes into it, but yep. I was quite lucky uh, when I did start to train. I uh, stacked on weight pretty easily, and a lot of yep. that was muscle. Uh, and coming from a swimming background, I was used to eating a lot. I, right. I was so so used to consuming calories because yeah. my work ethic and work rate when I was swimming was just excessive. So eating lots of food and training kind of made sense for me, and my body adapted really well. And I was very lucky in a sense that I, I got some good mentoring early yep. uh, and became educated in, in what I do rather than just uh, winging it and guessing along the way. 
right. and that education in the very first beginning of it like I was in a in a small gym and just the guy there he was a really smart guy and he uh, kind of put me on a good path and that really cemented my, my career excellent tell me about your mindset because obviously you had to bulk up quite a bit how was it from a mental perspective of eating constantly training lifting day in day out how was that I think the mindset of a bodybuilder is is very interesting um, and this is something that I can speak from experience and obviously with all the people I work with the mindset of a bodybuilder I, I seem to be quite different to a lot of sports uh, because there's just such a big emphasis on not just the work you do in your training but the work you do at home yep. as in regards to your eating and your recovery uh, but it's the only if we want to call it a sport it's the only sport that you are uh, all the training you do doesn't actually have an effect on what you look like on stage right. or what you look like on quote unquote game day mm-hmm. or how you perform on game day because realistically in bodybuilding you could be extremely weak and look amazing on stage mm-hmm. and you can still get the, the trophy so it's one of the only sports that's not actually performance driven Right. it's habit based it's yep. habit based and that habit comes from the mindset so the training and nutrition side of things um, early on uh, was something that I kind of neglected because it was so easy. It was just, I just ate and I trained and yep. I didn't really have an education understanding what I had to do. Yep. But it's going from that that average or just above average to trying to become elite. Mm-hmm. That's where the mindset really uh, hammers home. And I think it's it's more challenging than a lot of people give it credit for. Yep. Uh, you know, speaking for the sticking to that much nutrition and you would think eating lots of food uh, would be easy for most. However, when you're in a period of growth and you're trying to grow, uh, you know, you might get to a point where you're having to consume far more calories than you're used to uh, and your metabolic function can't cope with it, but it's a mindset game to try and just get it in to make sure you can recover and grow the muscle that you want to. And what's your take on the fad diet? So the different, obviously we've got different types of diets out there. What's your take on all of them? Dieting and nutrition, it's, I wish I could just say it's black and white. I wish I could say there's good and bad. Yep. However, uh, it's, it's, it's not in absolutes like that. The nutrition world is just not a world of absolutes. There's so many gray areas. Uh, and when it comes to fad dieting, uh, you know, if, if to give an emotional answer, it would be they're all, they're all horrible. However, for every time that I say they're horrible, there's going to be two other people that say that there's pros. There's yeah, some of sort of positives that come out of it. So nutrition is a very... Um, it's, an, it's a topic that most questions are answered with, it depends. So looking at fad diets, there are pros and cons to everything that we go through. Yep. Uh, if we use like a ketogenic diet, for an example, uh, you've got an opportunity to reduce inflammation. You've got an opportunity to say if you're a female going through uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it has uh, some positives there. Mm-hmm. However, then, okay, cool. What is more optimal? Your body derives from carbohydrates. Right. So potentially there's a pro and a con there. Mm. Uh, so I think the, the easiest answer to give there is it depends. Overall, a bad diet, though, in my opinion, um, if it's not sustainable, it's not worth uh, the endeavor. If it's not something you can do for a long time, yep. perform well, feel good, and still enjoy food, probably not going to last, which mm. means it's probably not the answer to your problem. Right. So then going to my next question is in everyday life, so we're looking at the majority of people that aren't in professional sport or bodybuilding what's more important nutrition or exercise for a consistent pace to have a fit body long term long term is look there once again it's an it depends question because yeah like personally i think it's a it's a rule of you probably hear that very often where people say it's an 80 20 rule right you know 80 percent nutrition 20 percent training however if you want to be uh in the upper echelon of anything 
you need to give 100 and 100. It's 100% of each. However, if we look at what's actually going to be, if we had to put it higher importance on one or the other for general for the general populace, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say nutrition is more important because we can control intake, we can control the calories consumed, Right. right, and still. Of if we wanted to look, you know, normal or what the average, um, you know, Australian body type is, mm. you could achieve that quite easily with you know moderate uh, levels of, of muscle mass. Yep. Um, and you can look decent if you control your nutrition. Right. However, if you want to look above average, uh, weight training and nutrition needs to be at that hundred percent intake or hundred percent commitment in both ends. And should people see food? in a certain way so should they see it as I'm just going to stuff myself whereas I can actually look at it a different way and it's fuel to get me throughout the day to get me having high levels of energy better sleep etc well look food impacts everything like I view food as fuel yep right and aside from protein you've got carbohydrates and fat so the two you've got three main macronutrients protein carbs and fat right and carbohydrates and fat are the things that dictate how you feel Yep. Right, and how you perform. Right. So, protein has a has a different effect altogether. Like, there's obviously, um, you know, the turnover of protein, our ability to grow muscle comes from protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps us full, and we also have like a thermic effect of food when we eat more protein, so we get a little bit more heat from our body. Yep. And this can burn up calories throughout your metabolic rate and all that kind of stuff. But realistically, if we look at like performance and feeling, mm-hmm. sleep, sex drive, a lot of things are impacted by what we eat. Right. Um, and viewing it as, I think a lot of people kind of find this hard, but people seem to view food as emotional reward. Whereas if we can try and change that thought process to food being fuel, uh, people can start to make better choices on that food to make them feel better, perform better, right. train harder, yep. uh, recover easier. A lot of things can happen from this stuff. But I think it's a slow process to turn that emotional to logical. Yep. Um, and it comes from education, teaching clients and people exactly what certain foods do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say they should cut out, you know, quote unquote, bad food, right? Because uh, in my opinion, there's no such thing as bad food. There's just too much of any food yep. um, can be a bad can be a problem. Um, people don't need to remove all foods that they uh, view as you know not clean or not whole foods. It just means that they need to learn how to control those certain foods to allow it to fit within their uh, their limits. That can still allow them to feel good because I'm not going to lie, man. Eating a block of chocolate makes you feel good, right? Right. Short term, short term. Will it make you perform good? Maybe not, right? But learning how to kind of moderate that and go, well, I can have a little bit of chocolate, still get that uh, dopamine or that feel-good receptor uh, to explode and we feel better, right? But then what do we do to try and long, like, get through the rest of the day and make that long, that feeling a little bit more long-lasting? Right. And for play, play, and parents out there as well listening, so we obviously got a lot of young juniors and young athletes listening to us here. What, how important is a well-balanced diet for their performance in school and in professional sport, let's say from a 13-year-old upwards? So how would you educate the parents? Obviously, the kid isn't conscious or aware of what they're actually eating, but the parent is there to obviously support them in every way, shape, or form. What would you recommend from a nutrition point of view to them to keep up to date with their school and sport? 
look, there's probably a couple pillars here when it comes to nutrition for performance and uh, I guess performance in uh, logic and you know making decisions as far as school goes as well as mm-hmm. uh, athletic performance. Right. I think those pillars really come down to um, pre pre workout or pre training nutrition, yep, as well as like recovery based nutrition. Okay, um, they're probably the main pillars that we need to be aware of, and you know you can structure in other uh, elements around that to improve it, uh, the functionality of brain, like their memory and um, their learning capabilities. Yep. But I think for a clear mind, um, parents, or for a clear way to look at this, I think parents need to kind of look at going, well, let's really bring nutrition back to the basics and go, all right. Fat takes a little bit longer to digest and there is also more energy in fat, right? And when I'm talking about fat, I'm talking dietary fats, so um, nuts, butters, oils, avocados, uh, and so on, okay? These kind of fats are a longer-lasting energy source, yeah. right? They take a little bit longer to burn, which means if you're looking at uh, a breakfast before school, right, using some sort of slow-release energy source is going to be better because we're not going to get that big energy release and then crash, mm-hmm. right? We're going to get a, a more sustainable energy intake. We're going to get some energy intake that actually helps brain brain function. So we become clearer. And I'm sure everyone at home uh, has been exposed to when they eat a large amount of carbohydrates, if they sit down for a bowl of pasta, they get foggy, they feel a little bit slower, a bit tired, right? That's not going to set up the best environment for learning or performance, mm-hmm. right? Um, depending on the sport, if we're talking performance, okay? If it's a longer duration of sport um, over a few hours, right? Say, for example, a big tennis game, if you're going to be playing tennis for a long time, right? Using fats prior to that is going to be a good idea, once again, because it takes a little bit longer to get through. Yep. Whereas if you were um, doing a shorter duration of sport, carbohydrates would make a lot of sense because it's going to be quick available energy. That being said, you can time that carbohydrate intake to whilst they're doing said sport. Um, But as far as the recovery pillar goes, I think the biggest thing that most parents are going to be concerned about is overfeeding um, their athletes and overfeeding to a point where, you know, potentially there's any sort of um, negative adaptation for body composition. So they start to either put on some body fat or feel a little bit worse and so on. But we can't recover without food. Okay. Food and sleep are the biggest thing. So I think um, don't be afraid, especially for athletes like, like they're obviously sport dependent, but for most athletes, they're going to be burning through quite a lot of energy every day. Right. So I would suggest to increase intake, um, use proteins and fats before training. And if they're uh, training quite hard, carbohydrates can go in there. And then recovery, once again, protein and carbohydrates to get in and make sure we can improve the ability to recover. Right. And for your clients out there or anyone listening, when people say to you they don't have time to meal prep, what is, what is your take on that? Is that a bit of bullshit in your eyes? Look, it's uh, short. Short answer, yes, man. It's yeah. at the end of the day, people will put so much importance on their training. They'll yep. go to. The, they'll go to do all the things they need to do and tick off everything else. Whereas twenty percent of your result only happens in the gym, right? Right. Everything else happens out, right? You might have to give hundred percent effort into your training. However, most of your result comes from your nutrition, and if you don't have the time to prep, you probably don't have. Time, you shouldn't, in theory, have time to train. Right. Um, Nutrition prep doesn't need to be overcomplicated. I think people try and become a master chef and try and make it too creative and too amazing. Yep. Um, in the, the day, your body doesn't care about flavor, 
right? And I know that sounds really stupid and really, um, I guess, cutthroat on it. Like, don't get me wrong, I like food that tastes nice. But if you're someone that's time poor, you don't need to sit there and compile 10 different foods to make this amazing meal. You need to bring it back to the simplicity and go, well, what does my body need? Tick it off, right? You can then add the fun stuff and the flavor later. But right now, like if you're looking at what do your body needs is it needs nutrition. You can't expect a goal to happen without nutrition. It's not going to work. Yeah. Right? Whether it be mindset, physical, or uh, even emotional, like food supports everything. Yeah. So I think for the people at home that say they don't have time, I would suggest try and find a way that you can have time. Um, you know, some quick tips would be rather than prep for a week, prep for three days. Um, use bulk amounts of, if you're cooking meat, cook it in bulk. Use either a pressure cooker or an oven. It's really simple. You don't need to sit there and uh, cook up every single meal. Cook in bulk and divide across, uh, you know, different plates or upware containers or do whatever you need to do. But I think time should not be the issue. And for young athletes, whether they're in AFL, soccer, tennis, um or athletics, what's a good age that players should start getting in the strength and conditioning phase? So whether it be in the gym or start learning basic exercise to develop their body long-term, or even if it's just think, a um, well-being player as well. Yeah, I think I think most people have uh, probably heard the, the old saying of like, you shouldn't start weight training too early. It's going to start your growth. Yep. Um, yep. It's been proven that that's a myth uh, 10 times over. Uh, so the, the biggest worry there is, you know, the compression of heavy weights and pushing down on bones and ligaments. And at the end of the day, if we were talking about a young kid getting into the gym, say 10 to 12 years old, they don't have the capability. If they're doing it, don't get me wrong, I don't think, I don't ever recommend 10, 12, 10 to 12 year old going into the gym by themselves um, because we've all been 10 to 12. Hmm. We all know what it's like to be 10 and 12 and it's always a competition with your friend and it's always about ego. Yep. That's where injuries happen. That's where shit goes wrong. Hmm. Whereas if they're working with someone that knows what they're doing, the muscle like density capacity, so the amount of muscle they have is nowhere near, it's going to be anywhere near them being able to actually lift weight well. Uh, so they shouldn't get injured. Um, and if, once again, if they're doing it well, they're going to be in a position where all that compression that's getting uh, put on them by the weight they are lifting is going to be stretched out from other opposing movements. So, you know, for example, if we're putting weight on our back, you're then going to do maybe a pulling exercise that starts to decompress your back as well. Hmm. So I think the earlier the better. Um, Earlier you can expose uh, young athletes or, you know, just even kids in general to weight training and exercise proficiency, so learning how to do things correctly without getting injured. it's like anything, it's going to become a better skill. It's going to be, become uh, second nature to them and they're not going to be able to get into a position five years down the track where it's boring to them, they're uncoordinated and more likely to get injured. And obviously getting into the gym or any sort of fitness exercise, how important is learning the technique before actually going out there and doing the practical part of it? Well, look, as I just said, bro, it's the exercise proficiency should be number one on everyone's list. So learning how to perform an exercise well, essentially what that does is, it, one, it primes your muscles to actually feel what they should be feeling. Yep. You start to target the muscles that you're trying to work on. And if you're looking at performance, those exact uh, explosive fibers start to actually get exposed to the, you know, the things that they need to. You can do something completely wrong and 
target a completely different area. And if you're looking at sports performance, get strong in the wrong thing. Yeah. So learning how to do an exercise well um, not only creates more longevity in uh, the gym or in training because you're going to be less likely to get injured, but mm-hmm. you're going to get more out of your training long term as well. And obviously another question that kind of relates to it, I know I've done that myself and many people out there, you go to a gym, it's all right, we're doing a weight session. Well, let's start lifting weights. Should there be a specific warm-up or a prehabilitation program to warm the muscles and joints up before we start really pumping those weights? Absolutely, man. Like, I think the easiest way for people to understand this is if we use something called as an RPE scale, so a rate of perceived exertion. Right. Essentially, when you start to train um, and you're ready to turn it on properly, that RPE scale should, should be around an 8 out of 10. Right, two reps from failure, right? So that eight being two away from where it's really, really hard. Yeah. I think everyone should start their workouts with anything from a four to six RPE and work their way up. Mm-hmm. And once they find a weight or an exercise that they're doing that now feels like an eight out of 10, that's where the workout starts, right? As far as specific warm-ups like um, stretching or other movements, like if we were to do like isolated stretching, it's not great for strength and conditioning. So we look at what a muscle does, it stretches and contracts. Now, if you've pre-stretched that muscle, it's going to be, you know, quote-unquote weaker because it's already stretched past a a normal position. Yep. Uh, So if you're looking at static stretching and isolated stretching, that's something I'd look at doing after you train. Whereas if you're trying to just uh, warm up before you train, movements so go going through the specific movement in a lighter, slower fashion, building up a bit more speed. Um, it's, it's called dynamic stretching is a really good way to put it. Yeah. Just trying to move through movement. But once you actually start to lift weight, uh, start at a four to six RP and work up until you find that eight. Right. I always tell my athletes out there in doing any type of exercise, a warm-up is actually warming up your whole body. So you should have a little bit of a sweat in my eyes. And that's where you should say, okay, I'm warm, not I go to the gym or I go to the tennis court and I'm dry as a towel. So yeah, there's especially if you're looking at like uh, for cardiovascular stuff, if you're trying to, you know, if you're about to do a uh, conditioning workout, you definitely can't just go straight into it, uh, you know, at a 10 out of 10 and hit it really hard because one, we're not ready to be explosive. Two, you know, if you're looking at cardiovascular output, your body's not ready to bring in that much oxygen yet. It's not going to be efficient. So doing a progressive warm-up, like, as you said, getting a sweat on, is going to be really advantageous too. Right. And what's your what type of training and preparation do you do for your athletes going into bodybuilding competitions? So I, uh, I follow a method called flexible dieting. So as far as nutrition goes, by the time someone is ready to do a competition, I have, a, I have a prerequisite that I need to work with them for a minimum of six months before we start. Right. So essentially by that point, I know they're educated enough to understand nutrition that I can give them numbers and go, cool, eat X amount of protein, carb, and fat. They can select the food they want. So I used to do things a little bit differently where I would give out meal plans. However, I found that it created a little bit more of a, like a very destructive mindset when people got very restricted. Right. So I try not to restrict my guys and try to empower them to eat the food they enjoy um, within the limits that I've set. Right. Uh, and as far as nutrition goes in a comp prep, I look at calories on a weekly basis. So if we're looking at um, anyone, even if we kind of pull it back from competitions, anyone trying to achieve, you know, the body they want, calories and intake energy over a whole week is going to be a far better uh, position to look at 
rather than daily intake because we all have bad days, right? But if you're able to balance that intake out across the week to be what it should, you're going to be still in a weekly deficit or a weekly uh, trackable position at least so you can still progress forward. So that's how I work with my guys working towards stage. We have a weekly allowance of calories. Um, They have their macronutrient targets set. And their goal is to hit those every day. But if they do have a bad day, they can pull off from other days or add on if they need to. And as far as their training goes, it's very different for everyone. Um, I've got some people that will get on stage, you know, with six abs and veins everywhere that have only trained four days a week. And then I've got some people that need to train six. Um, And it just comes down to what stress can they handle as an individual, uh, how well they can cope with that comp rep and really what their body's like, uh, where they're starting at. So overall though, the, the training is, is weight centric. We don't really focus on cardio. Um, all I do for cardio is track my client's output. So we just track steps just to make sure there's some sort, some element of consistency there with the output. Right. So obviously your coaching method will change to the individual, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a firm believer that within the fitness industry, there's a lot of um, cookie cutter approaches where people just get given a plan that's been given to 20 other people. Right. Um, and for me, I don't think that's a very ethical way to run business. And I don't think it's really something that works well um, because I think every client needs to be treated differently. Yep. And as well as being a personal trainer and like a fitness coach, all this kind of stuff, I'm also a businessman and I don't think it looks good for the business for 20 people to have the same approach. Of course. Uh, It's just not what my brand is and not what we do. And for people out there that want to try and get a nutrition plan off your some sort of strength conditioning exercise, how can they get in contact with you? Most easily contactable on Instagram, which is at Lionstone Physiques or uh, Facebook Lionstone Physique Coaching. Uh, other, other than that, they can go to the website, uh, com, and uh, you can read all about exactly what I do there. Excellent. And obviously, I've been on your Instagram page and Facebook. You've got a lot of positive content that you hand out for free just to educate people to help them out in everyday yeah. life. So that's really good. Absolutely. Um, I'm always open for a chat, even if uh, you don't want to join the team, you don't want to kind of get anything specific. If you need some help in any direction, I'm also happy to jump on a call or send over some information to anyone that needs it. All right. So guys out there listening, this is an opportunity. It's it's amazing, especially Reese being able to give out free content from his knowledge to you guys to help you guys. It's, it's unreal. So why wouldn't you want to take this opportunity? Absolutely, man. Like, if, as I said, if you guys need anything at all, uh, I'm happy to just have a chat and uh, put you in the right direction and hopefully give you some momentum, especially through these tough times. Reese, it was a pleasure, mate. Thanks for being on the show. No worries, Will. And there you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Alpha Class. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us. If you want to keep up with our movements, please head to our Instagram and Facebook page at Australian Alpha Tennis Academy. I'm your host, Books Kadaka, and I'll see you again next week.